0: Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have real, honest, smart, and sometimes even hilarious conversations about co-parenting, separation, and divorce, and all that goes along with that. I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, Certified Life and Relationship Coach, and happily divorced mom who helps women decide if they should stay in or leave their marriages and then guides them through the process one step at a time. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're here with me today. Um, Today, I'm actually going to do a rebroadcast of one of the most downloaded podcasts I have ever done. And this is my conversation with Dr. Natalie Jones on divorcing a narcissist. But before we rebroadcast that episode, I want to talk a little bit about narcissism. I want to talk about the fact that narcissism has become a buzzword and a catch-all term to describe someone whose behavior bothers us. And I want to talk about the fact that this has become, I think, a little bit of a little dangerous. Um, And I'll explain what I mean in 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 a minute. I mean, bottom line is someone needs to be diagnosed as a a narcissist, but it's not just unfair to the other person, right? It's actually unfair to you. So, um, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about what a narcissist is. Right. And again, with Dr. Jones, we're going to get into this, um, in this episode, but narcissism really, there's a range, right? It can range from someone who is self-involved to someone who outright emotionally abuses us. Um, and while there are definitely veritable narcissists among us, it's really important for your own growth and healing for us to distinguish what a narcissist is and how common they really are. Because if you were to poll women today, and you know I run a Facebook group that has hundreds of women in it, and if you pulled them all, you'd think that every man on the planet was a narcissist. When the reality is that fewer than 1% of the population are diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. So in order to get into this and clarify a little bit, I'm going to read to you from an article written by Tanya Paisley, and it's on the website called sane.org. And in this article, she says, narcissism is more than a personality disorder it is believed to be a healthy developmental process in childhood, which exists in people from normal to clinical levels. Most, if not all of us demonstrate narcissistic tendencies over time. However, narcissistic personality disorder is rare. According to the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders, that's the DSM, uh, between 0.5 and 1% of the general general population is diagnosed with NPD. So interestingly, 50 to 75% of them are men. And my own personal guess is that an overwhelming percentage of those are white men, but I have no data to back that up. Um, Paisley goes on to say that narcissism exists on a continuum from normal, healthy with a few narcissistic traits to a pathological, clinical, full-blown personality disorder on the other end of the spectrum. And our level of narcissism can vary over time between situations and life events. It's important to remember that the major distinction between narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder, or NPD, is that narcissism is not a mental illness or personality disorder healthy narcissism is adaptive it's flexible and empathic it causes elation and joy and helps us function every day humans need admiration for attention everyone has a desire for success and love but we all occasionally experience a lack of empathy people like having power and control and once in a while we may feel grandiose or self-important So it's not uncommon for someone displaying normal everyday narcissist traits to hurt our feelings or push our boundaries. This is normal. We may classify these experiences as someone being selfish, aggressive, egotistical, or insensitive. Further along the continuum is an unhealthier narcissism called narcissistic personality type. And I actually think that this is where most of the people that I speak with, this is where I believe their spouses land. So this is again, not a mental illness. It is a more extreme form of narcissism. Whilst most or all of the characteristics of NPD may be present, this kind of narcissism is considered within the normal range of personality. A person may appear obnoxious, because they feel superior to others. They may have little or no empathy with the feelings, conditions, situations, or plight of others, or they could feel entitled to the best of everything while looking down on those who show admiration for them. So then we get into the diagnosis of of narcissistic personality disorder, or NPD, which is usually determined through clinical evaluation of the person. NPD was defined by the DSM-5 as significant impairments in personality function such as looking excessively to others for the regulation of self-esteem, viewing oneself as exceptional, having impaired empathy, and having mostly superficial relationships and the personality traits of grandiosity and attention-seeking. Pathological narcissism is maladaptive, rigid, persistent, and causes significant distress and functional impairment. These qualities remain relatively stable over time and are not caused by a medical condition, drugs, or a person's developmental stage. So um, research also shows that although people with NPD experience high self-esteem, it is also fragile and insecure. Their self-esteem fluctuates from moment to moment and day to day. Yet people with NPD are more likely to state their self-esteem as high rather than low. This suggests that although people with NPD describe themselves in positive terms, their non-conscious feelings are not necessarily so positive. So while it is common to refer to a selfish or arrogant person as a narcissist, the psychological definition is not only subtle, but it's also relatively rare. So what does this have to do with you? Well, when we use this term, most people are referring to NPD or narcissistic uh, personality disorder, or with people with narcissistic personality type, which is where I think most people fall in. Um, But we've pigeonholed people into these toxic categories of this broad spectrum. And what that does is actually limits us and our ability to take responsibility for our own growth and healing. Because calling someone a narcissist is very polarizing and it can create black and white thinking. And this kind of reductionism can block us from doing the real work and seeing some of the deeper and yes, harder aspects of our marriages and ourselves. So as an example, I once worked with a client who was really wrestling with whether to stay or go. And she was trying to figure out if her husband was a narcissist. And this was a really big thing for her. She wanted to decide. She wanted to know if he was a narcissist or not. And I finally said, does it matter? What does the label give you? And what she realized is that labeling him made him the bad guy and her the good guy and gave her a more simple and easy out of her marriage. If he's a narcissist, then according to science, he can't change, so she needs to leave. But when I pushed her to look deeper, when we scrapped the idea of putting him into a box, it made the decision far less clear opened up a much deeper and richer exploration into her own experience of what matters to her in her marriage. And it opened up understanding that her, you know, how her own trauma played into it um, and how his trauma that he experienced as a child caused him to have anxiety, which led him to be very controlling, which started to look like, narcissism, but really it was a function of anxiety, right? So I don't want to belabor this, this issue too long, but ultimately what happened with this client, which she realized is that when she took a step back, she realized that if he was a narcissist, there was no hope for the marriage, but if he was a wounded child in an adult, an adult body, she could say, I love you. I want to try and make this work, but if you don't go to therapy and get the help that you need to deal with your anxiety, I have no choice but to leave, which is a very different conversation. And when she had this conversation, her husband hightailed it to therapy, even though they had been before, he had been told that he needed to do this work in the past, but she was able to come at this conversation from a much more open and loving place rather than you're a fucking narcissist, I'm leaving you, <laughs> Right. But here's the deal. You don't have to stay with a wounded person. Most of us have spent decades having compassion for someone else's woundedness while laying ourselves on the tracks in front of their moving train. This is where our own codependency comes in. We work so hard to fix them. We buy them the books, which sometimes they even read. We find the podcasts that will help them. We find the therapists and even make the appointments for them. And sometimes they go and often they don't, and we continue to be hurt by them. And we put our compassion for them above our own sense of safety and security. So if you're listening to this right now and thinking I should have more compassion, maybe I didn't give enough of a chance, stop for a minute and ask yourself if this is really true. Or if you keep putting your compassion for him above your own sense of happiness and security, because if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, you deserve to be happy. So here's where this information can be useful at this stage of the game. If you've characterized your ex or soon to be ex or your husband, your spouse as a narcissist, and you have a lot of rage floating around in you. This simple perspective shift might allow you to move forward with a lot less anger, resentment, and toxicity, which in my opinion is what this work is really all about. You know, I want to return to the point that I made at the very beginning of this, um, very long introduction to this <laughs> rebroadcast, um, which is that narcissism has become a buzzword. We use it for everyone in any every circumstance with anyone that pisses us off or appears selfish. And doing so is not only harmful and mis- can miscategorize them, it's also polarizing um, and it blocks any kind of healing, including and especially for yourself. So let's take a listen back in to this episode that I recorded um, sometime last year with Dr. Natalie Jones about divorcing a narcissist. And I hope you enjoy it. And I will be back with a new episode in just a couple weeks. Really, I mean, you really specialize in narcissistic abuse, helping people recover <laughs> from narcissistic abuse.
1: Absolutely, yes, um, that is very true. Um, I specialize in treating both ends of the spectrum, both the perpetrator and the victim.
0: Yeah, and I find that actually really fascinating because this is a spectrum, mm-hmm. right? And so. Talk, let's talk about that spectrum. Cause I think it's really important to notice. I know that when, um, when my ex-husband and I were in couples therapy, mm-hmm. our therapist diagnosed both of us, our couples therapist. And he said, Kate, you're a codependent, go do some work, read about that, read melody, Beattie. all of the, all of the things, right. Mm-hmm. Easy. And he said, um, to my ex, and you're a narcissist, go and do some reading and find out what you, you know, learn about narcissism. Yes. And when he went to the Google, um, and this was, you know, back in 2007 or eight, all he could come up with was NPD. And he was like, "I'm not that." Yes, he's like, "I'm willing to own that I have narcissistic tendencies, but I'm, but I, do, but I don't have narcissistic personality disorder."
1: Absolutely, um, which
0: I agree with. He does not. Yeah, um, but then it was sort of like, "Oh well." <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so I, do, I want to talk about the spectrum and and what different um, sort of plots, uh, you know, points on the on the spectrum, how they what they look like, what they feel like, and what they feel like to be in relationship with these people.
1: Absolutely. Um, So narcissistic personality disorder, and you're right, um, is very different than someone who has narcissistic traits or narcissistic characteristics. And a lot of times now when you hear people throw the word of narcissism out, what they're actually talking about is someone who has – Narcissistic traits, right? And someone who has narcissistic traits is going to look a lot different than someone with narcissistic personality disorder. Narcissistic personality disorder in itself is very rare; it occurs to in about one to two percent of the population. So that's going to be very rare uh, that you see someone. That has those clearly defined characteristics, and usually it's going to be uh, someone that I'm working with, uh, maybe in incarceration, in incarceration, or you know, somewhere in that type of setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're talking about narcissistic traits, what a lot of people are really thinking about. Is there thinking about the manipulativeness or the gaslighting? Um, the gaslighting meaning, but you're basically being manipulated and 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 twisted and turned to make it think that it's all you and not the other person. Um, and in doing that, what they're going to do is they're going to be. Uh, getting allies to side with them and against you they're going to be telling you no uh, that that didn't occur the way that you thought it did Um, it's it's all in your head, essentially, and and it's going to essentially make you feel like, wait a minute, am I in the twilight zone? And then you start to question your own uh, sanity, if you will. The other piece of it that uh, people think of when they're talking about the traits is the lying, right? And lying could be simple and very self serving. Um, and it could be to the point where they actually believe it. But when you when you see it in the personality disorder, it's very, very pathological lying. Um, and it's all it's very easy, it becomes like breathing. Um, yeah. It's so, so
0: it's so scary. It's so it scary is scary. Yeah. I, there's someone in my family uh, who definitely has narcissistic personality disorder, along with another, a, a few other co-occurring personality disorders, and it's, it's, it's terrifying.
1: Absolutely,
0: It's really terrifying to be,
1: absolutely
0: to watch someone and to be related, you know, in in some kind of relationship with someone
1: um, mm.
0: who. Who is pathologically lies in such a way? It's so easy. It's so terrifying how yeah. so how easy it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the word that I was thinking of, I knew it would come back oh. to me for gaslighting. It's brainwashing. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. brainwashing. It's it essentially brainwashing. causing you to question your own uh, perception, your own reality, um, and doing things like that. And so uh, the manipulation. Um, so they're using you for their own sort of personal gain. Uh, What can I gain from manipulating or using this person? And so those are... Those are some of the hallmark characteristics. There's also the um, the selfishness or the entitlement because we all have selfishness or we, we can be selfish to some degree, but the entitlement, um, the entitlement feeling like the rules don't apply to me, uh, whatever I want is mine for the taking and I don't need permission or approval. And then also on the spectrum, um, when we're looking at the upper end, we're talking about the feelings of being special, like I'm one of a kind, um, and and that may come across in that sort of uh, godlike complex, when I'm here and you're there type of thing, and, and I need to be able to control you because I'm superior to you and everybody else. Um, And so that would be something that you would, you would see. And again, that feeling of specialness also um, extends to others, meaning that I can only surround myself or I can only admire or, even envy or even put myself in the same category with those who have superior status, such as myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be someone that feels like, oh, they can only see a medical doctor of this specialty and not like a nurse practitioner or an, you know right. what I mean? Like, right. yeah, no, yeah. I need to see that at, and see
0: the yeah. Harvard graduate, <laughs> yeah. not the yeah. like University okay. of Kentucky, <laughs> Kentucky graduate. Or- yeah. <laughs> right.
1: And not to say that there's nothing wrong with top-notch care or things like that, but this person goes out of their way to put themselves in that same category. Like, I can only be associated with or right. only be affiliated with people in that category. Um, everyone else is less than inferior um, or not as good as me. Yeah, so that it becomes very uh, grandiose, if you will, meaning that they become very fixated on that. And uh, yeah, the other hallmark traits would be like jealousy and envy um, and the feeling, uh, the lack of empathy, Mm -hmm. um, those things. And um, the lack of the range of emotion, especially positive emotions, such as happiness, feeling excited or warmth towards other people. Um, What you're going to see a lot um, might be rage or anger or contempt. So you would see more of those types of emotions. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. When you find yourself married to this kind of person... (laughs) What are you experiencing, like on a daily basis? What is being in relationship with a narcissist like? Like this gaslighting. Like when we talk about gaslighting, it's almost like we're talking we're talking about it from the other side, sort of looking back on it and going, "Oh wow, that's what that was, right?" But what are some of what is it like? I mean, I I can speak to this a little bit too, (laughs) from a lot of experience, but. What is it like to be in a relationship with someone like this?
1: It depends on where you're at in the relationship. Typically in the beginning, um, it's very, there's, there's a honeymoon phase, right? It's very, this person is very charming. They're doting on you. They're making you feel like you're wonderful. You're beautiful, um, and you know is it it can a lot of times be described as a whirlwind romance meaning that things went very quickly and it was very full of passion and excitement Um, maybe that person even was pushing boundaries with you and having you do some things that you weren't so comfortable with in the beginning and and you thought of it as being um very adventurous or exciting Mm -hmm. in the beginning.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, And (laughs) we often refer to that as being love bombed. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's this swirl of stuff and it's kind of designed to destabilize you so that you don't question, right. It's like, it's such a swirl that you're just swept up in it and you're not giving rational cognitive thought and reason.
1: You're, yeah, you're not given rational thought and reasoning, reasoning, but you're also not pumping the brakes and taking a step outside of the bubble, right? You're kind of just caught up in this thing. Um, you may not be asking questions and really getting to know this person on a deeper level. And so, That's one of the things that I will say too is that um, we have to be mindful that uh, we're in these whirlwind romances that you don't. Know the person, but a part of you feels like you do because you're caught up in this situation, but really and truthfully, you don't know them in depth. you don't know their vulnerabilities um, their weaknesses, their sadness, um, their life experiences and things you you kind of know uh, the things that they put out there and that they want you to know as time goes on um, you know when you start to see. The breakdown, what you start to see is um, behavior that's degrading or demoralizing towards you. Uh, This might come out in intimacy or sex, um, where Mm -hmm. sex is uh, they want it their way or is really kind of detached or emotionless. Um, You're just kind of, it may be even feeling robotic in a way. And you can feel it in in the person's sleep patterns as well because even when sleeping, they'll kind of push you away or they won't, um, you know, where in the beginning they were all over you. They were kind of smothering you even with love and affection. But as time goes on and they really start to pull away and become more abusive, they're starting to push you away. Again, you might start to see... Um, lying or controlling tactics. Uh, Control can come out in a variety of ways Um, that can come out in the form of emotional, psychological, mental, financial uh, control, uh, sexual control. Uh, So you can start to see those things where they really just want things their way and they kind of take the power away from you. Mm -hmm. The other piece of it too is um, you, they want, they always want to feel like they're loved or they're special. And so that's going to be drawing a lot more energy from you if you're on the opposite side of that, where you feel like you constantly have to, prove yourself, prove your love, or prove your worthiness to that person, uh, so much so that you're the one who's actually doing most of the work in the relationship. Uh, That also may show up in other ways where you have um, isolated yourself from friends and family because that person has been consuming uh all consuming of your time and your energy or maybe they are jealous Mm -hmm. of the time and energy that you spend with others or controlling uh you might also start to see rage uh, that comes across or may appear as like a tantrum or someone's having a bad day you'll start to see those increase in intensity and frequency Mm -hmm. um also, too, what you may start to see is, um, or you may experience, is that person having, um, you know, an alignment of sorts, uh, having people that sort of align with or uh, clean up their mess or mm. take take their side when the two of you are kind of... Um, Caught up in an argument or or, or at odds at sorts. So, um, those are some of the things that you know just come off the top of my head that we'll yeah. we'll definitely start to see. Um, and then you know it, it the dynamics can become so much more interesting or complicated or complex when there's children involved. Uh, children are often used as uh, like pawns as another way for them to sort of gain control or try to get the upper hand or cause um, additional suffering, Uh, especially if you try to walk away. When you try to walk away from a relationship uh, with a narcissistic partner or with a person who has uh, strong narcissistic traits, there's not walking away. Uh, That can be actually be very dangerous um, because again, you have to think that you have to remember that this person is not a rational thinker and they are thinking of you as more of like property or an extension of them. And so you don't, they don't want you to leave the relationship unless they are ready for you to leave the relationship. Um, If you try to do it before then, there's, probably going to be some hell to pay. And that could show up in the courtroom. Uh, That can show up in terms of, uh, you know, in the courtroom in terms of them being very difficult to go through court proceedings, not showing up, you know, arguing over things that are petty, uh, not um, adhering to the boundaries or the policies of whatever's happening in court. Um, but it, it can also show up in ways in which, you know, you're met with anger and animosity all the time or indifference, or they refuse to communicate with you. Uh, or maybe if you're involved in child custody, they'll try to keep the children way past the the deadline or not answer your calls or just disappear altogether. Um, that can also uh, they they may also be spending a considerable amount of time uh, dragging your name and, and your Aww. character through the mud to yeah. try to, again, gain allies, but also to make you appear to be a person, of poor or unworthy character. So they're really going to try to ch- destroy you uh, the best way that they can.
0: So how do you... Set healthy boundaries with someone like this, right? If you're good, especially if you are, if you're planning on leaving them, right, that's, that's the biggest boundary you can possibly set <laughs> is leaving them. Right. Um, yeah. and when there are children involved, how do you do this safely? Um, and effectively. You know, there is, um, and I, I answer
1: this with a grain of caution because what I will say is there's no one size fits all for everybody. Everyone that's leaving their narcissistic partner is not in the same emotional space or financial space or what have you. They, they might have their reasons for, um, still staying somewhat connected to that relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And some people have what's called a trauma bond, which means that even though they know that someone is bad for them or they treat them poorly, they are still connected to that person emotionally in some way. Um, And so, with that being said, though, uh, you know, some of my recommendations include this uh, first and foremost, especially for those who. Are trying to leave, I would say really uh, the first thing would be to develop a plan mm-hmm. um, and develop a plan in a way that is safest for you. Um, so I would not recommend keeping like details um, at home about how you're going to exit. I also wouldn't recommend that you're talking to people that that, your ex or your partner is aligned with, right? Because they're going to run back and tell everything or, you know, they can, you know, they can be an open book, which can actually put you in more uh, jeopardy, if you will. So definitely develop a safety plan or an exit strategy, what that might look like for you is maybe keeping cash in a place that's safe that that person doesn't have access to or would not find. That might be at your job or with a friend, uh, keeping uh, clothes or a bag packed so that when you're ready to go, it's very easily accessible. Also, too, it could be like a Dropbox somewhere, like an Amazon Dropbox. They have those like all over now, like an Amazon locker, if you will. So that would be, you know, just kind of setting aside some time Time. And it might also involve you talking with someone to help you develop a safety plan. National Center for Domestic Violence is great for that. I'm mm-hmm. also a certified domestic violence counselor. Um, and so that would be the one of the things. The second thing, um, as you're thinking about safety, especially if Isolation was, and there's a good chance that it was that you were kind of isolated or the quality of your relationships went down um, while you were with your narcissistic partner. I would say getting reacquainted with people um, and reestablishing relationships and emotional support uh, with the people in your life that you may have distanced yourself from or with new people, um, including a therapist. I would definitely recommend a therapist because a therapist is going to be talking to you about logic and reasoning and just really helping you to um plan and and discuss the emotions that are coming up with you and also your therapist, uh, if they're good, which hopefully they are, they're going to be rational thinkers, right? Mm -hmm. So they're going to be telling you, um, you know, I'm concerned for your safety because sometimes we doubt when we've been gaslit so much, or we've been manipulated so much, a therapist is going to be able to reality test and say, I'm concerned for your safety. Um, this is what I see here that, that you might need to do X, Y, and Z. Um, so definitely, um, getting back away from isolation and being surrounded and supported by others. The other thing, too, is, again, when we've been gaslit, we have trauma bonds. We're, we go back and forth with our emotions with our narcissistic partner. Some days we love them. We romanticize. We can't get over. Other days we're fearful. We're scared. We dislike the relationship. We know it's very toxic for us. Um, it's very useful to be mindful of what your emotions are and what's sort of triggering that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, maybe even writing things down so that when you get to this place where you're like romanticizing you can then go back and look at like some actual facts about why this person isn't good for you Mm -hmm. and what's what's triggering this for you this is another reason why i think therapy is very helpful because um they'll help you with processing that and keeping your own feelings in check and the reason why this is so important is because um When you're leaving, if you decide that you are ready to leave a narcissist, especially the person who's on the upper end of the spectrum the best way to do it that i would recommend is to go no contact. So if you're waxing and waning on your emotions, chances are you're going to wax and wane with your contact with that person you're going to you're going to answer the call. You're going to you're going to give in to the tactics and and keep keep the lines of communications open. If you're keeping the lines of communications open again with a person who's not, not rationally thinking They're they're thinking, we're still in a relationship. You still want to be with me. You're still giving me some sort of attention, even if it's negative attention.
0: Yeah. And where this gets really complicated is with my clients, with my listeners, certainly, is that when you have kids with someone, no contact is...
1: Absolutely.
0: You know, it's kind of not... It's not much... It's not an option, Um, there are ways of, of of using using tools like our family wizard or things like that. Absolutely. But you know, no contact is, it's not,
1: it's not. And when you have kids, you're right. It is a little bit different. And what, if you have kids, what I would suggest to you is there's a couple of things that I would suggest. Um, first of all, don't try not to put your kids in the middle. They're going to do that. But I would recommend, strongly recommend that you not do that. But yeah. what I would recommend that you do is sit down and have a real conversation with your children about what's going on, letting them know it's not their fault, and setting uh, just being realistic about what's going on and setting very clear boundaries with your children. Mm-hmm. And that again, Uh, might be most useful to do that with counseling or someone who has expertise in working with those dynamics. Um, The other thing that I would also suggest is that if you know your partner is very narcissistic, you have to communicate with them. Keep it um, almost like you're doing a business deal. Yeah. Keep it devoid of emotion. Facts. Stay focused. <laughs> stay on track. Um, if they start going off on tangents or wanting to get involved in a heated argument, um, don't engage in that. Yeah. Um, so just separate yourself from that. You know, if you have to hang up the phone, or if you have to say, you know what, I'm not going to continue this conversation with mm-hmm. you. We'll talk at a later time. Yeah. Whatever, whatever your style is and how you feel like. Whatever works best for you, without you getting emotionally embroiled in that.
0: Well, and that's really complicated, right? That's really hard because mm-hmm. you know they have been systematic. People in that situation have been systematically groomed and brainwashed.
1: Absolutely, and
0: not have the kind of confidence and self-esteem to be able to 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 be able to say something like that. That's a very sort of mature, clear, absolutely. Thing to confident thing to absolutely. say. I'm sorry, I'm not having this conversation. And one of the things that I often talk to my clients about is about controlling the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Because narcissists love to control the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's difficult, right, to go from being a person who is gaslit and brainwashed to being someone who's like free and yeah, apt, right. So how do you help? How do how does that work? How do you how do you go from being the person who's manipulated and controlled to being the person who can set clear boundaries, control the narrative, not let them take over the conversation. <laughs>
1: like Absolutely. Like yeah. A different
0: person, right? A,
1: it is a completely different person, which is why I specify it depends on where you're at, yeah. um, you know, when you're in this relationship, because that's going to look different for people. Um, and, you know, it also depends on where your partner's at too, because some partners are very, very extreme and very, very dangerous. Um And so for you to go from a person that's being manipulated and gaslit to a person that's able to have a cohesive, coherent conversation with good, solid boundaries does take a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's there's an in- interesting thing that happens when you're in a relationship with a person like that um and you know they take your power away yeah. so there's a lot of feeling powerless um what i like to call or what is called learned helplessness meaning that even if uh, you have all the resources available to you, you just don't think you can do it because that's just how broken down you've been or you've become because of this relationship. And again, this is where I say therapy is really going to be helpful. Therapy and emotional support, right? Because if you're by yourself, you're probably going to feel a lot more helpless and feel like you don't know where to start it. You don't have tools. Um, But I would say emotional support is uh, vital for this. And also too, you know, we live in a great era where there's so much information and resources like this podcast and et cetera that are available to us. Googling, Google is great, right? Oh, great. (laughs) Google is great. So Google can really, you know, again, you have to be in an emotional space where you're ready to to hear that and see mm-hmm. that, because sometimes when we're, we're kind of coming out, we're still not ready to hear the negative narrative that, you know, I was being manipulated, I was being abused, and people just aren't ready to hear that. But again, Google and Amazon are the top-notch yeah. resources, and there are a lot of uh, great books, great YouTube um Channels um, that can help teach people about what they've experienced and what they just come out of and how serious the situation is. Um, and that's also food for thought because those should be bringing up aha moments for you like, oh, what she's saying is really sticking with me. And so I need to take that with my therapist or I need to be kind of journaling about this and I need to be processing this a little bit more because that really uh, resonates with me. Mm-hmm. And so... So, doing all of those things, just learning about, I think, and being aware of what's actually going on, there are going to be those those first few steps, and also getting support um, is going to be, you know, some of those key first steps. Um, and then in therapy, you know, I would you know, when I'm working with clients that are just coming out of relationships with this, one of the things that I have to work on with them first is empowerment. Yeah. Um, just feeling like, uh, empowerment, self-esteem, self-love, self-worthiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there's a part of it too, a big part of it, which people really don't address and that's grief. Um, yes. because a lot of times, um, Yep. what what we what we're struggling with uh, in addition to feeling broken we're also dealing with the idea of the broken fantasy of what what should have or could have been mm-hmm. as opposed to what was and yeah. so we have to help that person grieve um that what you were thinking or what you were hoping or what you were longing for didn't actually happen or wasn't happening this is realistically what we're doing. So again, this is like um reality-based stuff where I'm helping you to understand the reality of what's actually happening versus yes. what you were hoping for.
0: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely I, I, I second all of that. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I do with clients is exactly the same thing, self-esteem work. Yes. I mean, that is because because the foundation has been so destroyed.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: because the only way to be manipulated is to have that foundation.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so we have to build that up first, and then and the grieving is really hard for people to grasp because they think it was awful, so I should be happy to be gone, or yeah. I like, and it's and it's never black and white. It's yes. not you know, and the grieving process when we skip that, it lingers, <laughs> and it, you know, and, and I'm someone who uh, actually skipped it. I skipped the grieving process when I, because I was so psyched to be out of my marriage that I was like, woohoo, you know, but a couple of years into it, the grief started to surface and it would come out in these dreams or it yeah. would come out in Absolutely. other relationships. And, and it was, it was, I realized it was a, a you know a step that I had skipped and I had to Ooh. go back and do it again. <laughs> that sucked, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. And yeah, and I always talk about the fact that in divorce, I think that that especially with kids when you are constantly in relationship with the mm-hmm. other person, that the grieving is an ongoing process that continues for for sometimes decades. And
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And also to Typically, when you're in a relationship with a narcissistic partner, it's typically in my experience and working with my patients it's not a linear thing. they're usually in a narcissistic relationship uh, with multiple people and or situations that could be uh, your job it could be some toxic family members or toxic friendships, um, you know, other situations um, that are around you. And so, you know, just um, again, the therapist therapy will help you sort of reality test and start looking at those other layers as well. And examining how those other layers are actually patterns and themes. And uh, they've also helped, to kind of continue to cycle and, and continue to keep you in the relationship with that partner.
0: So let's talk about that. Let's talk about, I mean, most of, most of us who have been in, who are in, or have been in narcissistic relationships, this isn't our first time at the rodeo, right? And we keep dating the same kind of guy over and over again. We marry the same guy over and over again. So talk to us about what that's about.
1: You know, um, for the majority of my clients uh, that I've worked with, um, that typically starts in a very early relationship. Uh, typically, it starts with parents or and or caregivers or siblings or perhaps even entire families where they were in where they were groomed at a very early age, um, to be manipulated or to be, uh, or to give in to the needs and or demands of others. Um, and basically taught to put their needs, their feelings, their wants, and their desires up on a shelf or not be acknowledged. Um, and so that's Typically where where I've seen that start and that yeah. you've been groomed, you've been hardwired uh to process your relationships that way. And when you're hardwired, you start writing narratives in your head. Um in, in your your inner critic, your internalized dialogue, you start writing these narratives in your head that um, you know, all people are a certain way you might hear people say all men are dogs or all women are untrustworthy or things like that because they've been wired to attract those types of people because that's who they've been groomed by. So naturally, even though it's a negative um, narrative, the type of energy That you're manifesting the thinking that you're manifesting is actually drawing those people to you.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's gonna, it's a cycle that continues because what happens is as people, we're doing what we know, we're doing what we've seen, even though it doesn't feel good to us, there's comfort and discomfort. Like I know how to do this. I've seen it happen time and time again. And so I'm going to continue this behavior because it serves some purpose or there's never been a reason for me to think about or change what I'm doing, thinking, or feeling.
0: Mm. And there's this unconscious draw, right? Cause it's, it, this isn't a conscious choice. This isn't like I'm walking down the street and, you know, finding the biggest asshole and choosing him. Right. But there is this unconscious draw that's partly based on familiarity. Absolutely. Right? And Familiar. then partly based on there, you know, the, I, I, th- I mean, I, I think, I mean, I, 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 I I don't subscribe to all of the Imago theory about this, but I do subscribe to the idea that we choose them because we want them to change for us. Right. And, and if they do, then we'll have, then we'll be healed.
1: Right. Because we're a lot of times when we're in these romantic relationships, we're still thinking about the first relationship uh, that didn't go well for us, mm-hmm. and we want to rewrite that story. So absolutely. the story is going to play out the same way, and we're hoping for a different ending.
0: Every time, every, time. <laughs> every damn time, <laughs> every
1: time. absolutely. Yeah.
0: And again, it's that's not conscious, right? We're not. We're none of that is conscious. That is all unconscious.
1: Absolutely.
0: So how do we rewrite that story, right? How do we not just be like, forget it. I'm joining a convent because obviously (laughs) this is my lot in life.
1: Right. Absolutely. Um, so when I'm working with my clients, what I'd like to do is start examining all of the relationships um, that they have around them. That could be their relationships with people, um, their family dynamics, um, their friends, work peers, uh, past romantic partners, and just start, you know, having them talk to me about that. And what I'm doing, I do a pretty in depth assessment in my intake process. And what I do is I draw out themes, mm-hmm. right? Because people don't uh, necessarily look for that. All they know when they call me is they don't feel good and the relationship doesn't feel good. Right. And so what I'm doing is I'm, you know, I'm letting them tell me their narrative and I'm drawing out uh, themes about their prior relationships, um, their, uh, Perhaps even also definitely also taking a look at um, culture and spiritual aspects. Like, um, what does your culture teach you about relationships? What does spirituality teach you about this? Um, do, if you have those things in your life, because sometimes totally. those things definitely play a big part. They're I mean, huge. Yeah. I
0: have. I have work with clients. A, a lot of uh, people come to me from the Bible belt and yeah. they are in, you know, small communities yeah. where they're being told that they're being disobedient. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: that right. There's a tons of cultural aspects that, that, you know, religious uh, in- informing, um, yeah. you know, I have a couple of Orthodox clients who's, you know, they, they're, they'll be cast, literally cast out of, mm-hmm. their, um, their communities.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So taking a look at those narratives and those dynamics and seeing how they all work together and really just, again, presenting that to the person that I'm working with uh, so that we can then start to take a look at those themes. This is what I see. These are, um, you know, basically I'm conceptualizing the case and saying, these are themes that are coming up, uh, that are contributing to what's going on today. And here's how I think we can work together mm-hmm. to fix it.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So that, that, <laughs> the- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Totally. How do you work with, I'm just curious, how do you work with women? um, or clients to build self-esteem. What are some of the tools that you, that you use for that?
1: So again, that, so the way I start with self-esteem is I really uh, start taking looks at their inner dialogue and their inner critic mm-hmm. and examining patterns that are coming up with the things uh, that people say to themselves. A lot of times when we're encountering situations or people, we talk, um, in our minds, in our, in our conscious about certain people, things, and situations, and just really taking a look at what are you thinking about that? And then also talking with them about where does that voice come from or who does that voice Mm -hmm. sound like to you? Mm -hmm. Um, Does it sound like someone, um, in your path. Typically it does. It sounds like someone that they know and, and, and we have a talk about that person. And, uh, a lot of times it'll be a parent or something like that, or a culmination of people that weren't very good or very healthy, uh, towards that person. And we talk about what that person meant to them and why they are holding on to the narrative of that person. So basically, we talk a lot about why you breathe life into toxic people, because a lot of times that's what we'll do. We'll keep them alive and we'll keep them very present uh, with us all the time, even if that's a relationship. And that we no longer have or that we no longer want, we're breathing life into that energy and kind of uh, running our lives with the words and actions of that person. So we talk about what purpose that serves for them and what it would take for them to let that person go and really start rewriting the narrative. Um, and so. Once we talk about that, we can talk about ways in which that person can rewrite the narrative for themselves and acts of kindness Mm -hmm. uh, that they can do for themselves and other people. Some of that may include um, saying and doing kind things for other people because a lot of times a person may not feel it towards themselves, but they may feel it towards others. But if you say it enough towards other people, eventually you'll start to Kind of incorporate that into your own dialogue for yourself, yeah. um there's also inner child work mm-hmm. uh that I like to do in terms of going back and really um, how old you are emotionally and where did you start getting broken down or feel like you started getting broken down emotionally or you know physically or sexually uh, and what can we go back? what can we do to go back and embrace uh, your inner child and talk to your inner child and and show love towards your inner child? Um, So doing some things and that respect would be just a couple of things that I would start, um, you know, and doing exercises uh, such as uh, even dating yourself or self-exploration. Uh, dating yourself is, is one that a lot of people struggle with because uh, they don't like to spend time alone and they don't know who they are so that's kind of a foreign concept to them. So talking about ways in which uh, you can date yourself and enjoy your time alone and, and sort of thrive off of spending time with yourself and and learning about yourself Uh, what do you enjoy what do you think that you do well It also might entail people asking other people what are three things or four things that you think that i do well or that are great qualities about me people that um you love and respect and that are going to give you positive feedback. Uh, so those would be a couple of things that we ways in which we would start empowering, uh, yourself. And, um, I think the other thing too is talking about our feelings of uh, guilt and shame and where that came from in incorporating boundary work. You know, a lot of times people that are very empathetic or are very kind have a hard time saying no or putting themselves mm-hmm. first. And so we talk about why this is important. If you're sick um, and you have a sick child, it's important for you to kind of, tend to your own sickness so that you can be in a position to kind of care for someone else who's not doing well.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so we talk about ways in which we can do that.
0: Yeah. Um, I love it. You've basically just outlined my group program That's yeah. really soon. <laughs> this is all the yeah. work that I do with my clients yeah. too. So I love it. Yeah. Um, And it's, and you know, the, one of the things that you mentioned that I think is important to point out is that often overwhelmingly it's empaths who are drawn to narcissists. Right. And so we, and we feel things so much more deeply than, you know, your average Joe. Right. Mm -hmm. And we take things on, right. We take other people's feelings on, we take on their um, their problems, their troubles, their we're sort of like we're sort of sponges for uh, the world, really. And we, absolutely and it's really hard for us to differentiate between like what's ours and what's just like not. And especially when you're in a relationship with a narcissist who's basically telling you that it's all yours, it's really hard to start to pull this stuff apart. But I think it's important to point that out because it's you're not alone, right? If 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 this is if if this is who you are, and these are the feelings that you're having, like it's so common, um, and it's it's <clears throat> it's common, right? You're not mm-hmm. alone. There's a there's mm-hmm. a whole there's a whole segment of the population out there that absolutely that are this sort of spongy, and absolutely. it's hard. It's mm-hmm. really hard. Mm-hmm. And I love what you said earlier about you know about making sure that you build build connections. Mm-hmm with other people, rebuild the connections with the people in your community that, or your friends, friendships that you may have lost. Um, but also rebuild community in, uh, among, uh, with other women who are going through this and, you know, just, I'm just going to give a shameless plug for my, my Facebook group, (laughs) which will be linked in the, in the, uh, in the show notes, because it's a group of women who are all sort of going through the same thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, And it's amazing when women share their stories with other women who get it and they realize they're not alone. Something Mm. really beautiful happens Mm -hmm. that I felt, I think really accelerates the healing of the shame and the guilt that you were talking about,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: right? I mean, it's just a really, yeah, it's really powerful.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, Dr. Natalie... Thank you so much for coming on. Yes. Tell, tell me where, tell us where everything will be in the show notes, but where yeah. can people find you? And, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And what do you have going, do you work with, um, with sort of the the mass populace, not just. Uh, private
1: Absolutely. People? Yeah. Um, so um, I, currently work in addition to my private practice i work for california department of corrections so i work with offenders um and then i have my private practice uh which is based out of oakland and sacramento california um lifetime counseling and consulting you can find me um on dr uh very simple so my name just spelled out um you know, and I do uh, coaching, I do consulting, and I definitely do counseling. Um, I'm also doing, uh, what do I have going on? I have a <laughs> couple of seminars coming Yeah, I know. I have a couple of seminars coming up, one for UC of Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've asked me to come and do a presentation on uh, this very topic, um, mm-hmm. identifying uh, dangerous characteristics in dating and relationships. Oh, uh, so something very similar to this. Mm-hmm. I also also have um, two three-day conferences uh, in which I'm doing for PESI. Uh, they do a lot of the continuing education credits for psychologists and therapists. Uh, so they've asked me to put on conference about folks with personality disorders and how to treat them. Uh, so I will be doing that. I often, I also write for other people. So I've written blogs and stuff like that for other people. Uh, So you may be able to find me, you'll be able to find me in places like uh, Psych Central and Therapy for Black Girls and things like that, where I've written pieces for people. Um, And I think for now, that's the only thing I've got going on. There mm-hmm. is a book in the works, but uh, that's all coming up. So yeah, Pezzi yeah. Pezzi has you know asked me to take other ventures. So yeah, that'll be an okay. exciting way to go.
0: Yeah, that is exciting. That's
1: mm-hmm. awesome. Thank you.
0: Oh, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this topic. It's such a huge one, and it's thing that I know that I deal with my clients with. About all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really great to connect with you.
1: Absolutely. Sure. Awesome. Thank you you for having
0: me. Yeah. Thank (laughs) you so much.
1: You're welcome.
0: Thanks for listening to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. You can find me over at kateanthony.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.